millionaire? I would assume most people. Welcome in to Fantasy Football Today, DFS on Thursday, August 26th. Frank Stanfield joined as always by Sienna Jad and Mike McClure. Today on the pod, stuff is happening. There, there was a trade that went down. Starting QBs are being named. We also have Millie Maker Strategy, which is one of, if not the most popular contest on DraftKings. And of course, FanDuel has their own version of that as well. We'll talk about some of those trends in the Millie Maker. We'll walk you through some stacking for that specific contest. And then preseason week three news and maybe some plays. We'll we'll see how far we get into it. But no chit-chat. Let's get right to it. See, you called it on our last pod. Sony Michelle has been traded to the Los Angeles Rams. Still just 26 years old. He's having a nice preseason, catching the ball a little bit more. And coming off his most efficient season, actually, in 2020, where he averaged 5.7 yards per carry, Daryl Henderson, dealing with this thumb sprain, should be ready for week one. But Sia, what do you think now of the LA Rams backfield? What what would that split look like between Sony Michelle, Daryl Henderson, maybe anyone else that's involved? It's a great question. And, and by the way... Um, Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, I'm happy you watched the show, happy you listened to the show. So thank you for that. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know. I, I think Daryl Henderson is still going to be the the lead dog here. But I mean, I can't really definitively say that. I think Sony Michelle, I mean, he's he's just a few years removed from being a coveted rookie running back. So I, I think he is going to be able to prove himself. I don't know that it's going to happen in the first, you know, the first week or the second week. But honestly, from a DFS standpoint, this really now seems like a backfield to avoid. Unless we get some really good information leading up to week one that let's say Darrell Henderson is healthy and that Sony Michelle is is not really fully integrated into the offense yet, which by the way, could completely happen. Um, But unless we get that sort of definitive information, I I don't really see any reason to be on any of these running backs early in the season. Yeah, and I think a trade like this at this point in preseason, in training camp, tells me that the Rams just do not fully trust Daryl Henderson to remain healthy. He's dealt with a bunch of injuries. I mean, even dating back to his college days. And now he's dealing with this thumb injury. So they bring in someone who's a little bit more proven. He can be used on early downs. Not sure he's going to catch many passes. Could be annoying on the goal line, some kind of vulture. But uh, yes, it is going to be interesting. With the Rams. Frank, let me let me just push back a little bit there yeah. because it might not be as much of an indictment on Darrell Henderson as it is on Funk and, and Jones because th- these are two rookie running backs and we know Sean McVay likes to rotate his, his depth like he did with Cam Akers, Malcolm Brown, and Joe Henderson last year and, and the year before when Cam Akers wasn't there, but it was Gurley. So, I, I mean, I, I really think it might be kind of the business as usual for Henderson, but maybe they just don't have faith in what the rookies are doing right now in camp. Yeah, rest in peace to my Xavier Jones and Jake Funk best ball shares. So a little moment of silence for them. On the Patriots side, we know Damian Harris will play on early downs, presumably. And James White is the pass catcher there and has been one of the better pass catching running backs for the past five, six, seven years. Uh, Apparently, Ramondre Stevenson took the second handoffs in practice on Wednesday, and he is having a massive preseason. 25 carries, 193 yards, four rushing touchdowns. Mike, we haven't worked you in here. Hello. How you doing, buddy? Uh, what do you think happens here with the New England backfield? I know Belichick, I mean, he likes to mix and match. It could be one guy this week, one, one guy that week. But do you have any type of feel for this Patriots backfield? I don't have a feel other than it. I think it's pretty clear it's going to be a committee. Uh, you know, we kind of have grown accustomed to that with this team. I will comment and say if I knew exactly what Bill Belichick was going to do, we would all be very, very wealthy because I don't think anyone knows what he's going to do for the most part ahead of time. So I, I don't have a strong take on it. Uh, a little bit of the take on the Rams side. 
think that them going out and getting Sonny Michelle here in the trade, uh, I know it's just fifth and sixth round draft picks, but draft picks are still draft picks. I do expect them to use him after going out and acquiring him. So I, you know, little warm, lukewarm on Henderson. I think Michelle's definitely going to be involved. The only question that remains here is, is he going to be up to speed with the playbook by week one? Yeah, it's definitely a a fair question regarding Sonny Michelle and the Rams. What we did not call correctly on our previous podcast was we thought Drew Locke might be named the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, but no, it's Teddy Bridgewater actually named the starting quarterback on Wednesday here. We're recording on Wednesday, by the way, August 25th, but Bridgewater is viewed more as the safe option compared to Drew Locke, more of a gunslinger mentality, I guess you could say. They both have looked pretty good in the preseason to this point. But I think Bridgewater kind of fits what the Broncos want to do. They have a strong defense. They have a pretty good running game, or at least we think, between Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Does this mean stock up for anyone in particular? Because I could see this meaning good things for Jerry Judy and maybe not so good things for Cortland Sutton. What do you think, Sia? I think it's good things for both of them because I, I think at the end of the day, you're looking at catchable balls. Remember, Mike brought up how much he likes Jerry Judy last week, right? But then we, and then I, I just happened to point out his his catch rate, which was so poor, but it wasn't poor because of Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy is so talented uh, off the line, at the catch, you, you name it, uh, he can play. And it's just, you know, his true catch rate was 73%. But if you looked at the actual catch rate, it was under 50%. And that's a product of Drew Locke. So even though Drew Locke is, quote unquote, the gunslinger, there's just going to be more catchable balls for, especially with in the short area targets. So I see what you're saying with with Cortland Sutton, but I think they're both going to benefit from this. Yeah, Mike, do you have a take here with uh, Teddy Bridgewater being named the Broncos starting quarterback? Uh, I mean, the only take here is I was clearly wrong. Uh, I was pretty confident Locke was going to be the one who's going to be awarded that position. I think that Locke might still have more upside. I think they're taking the safer route. I think they're going to rely on hopefully having a strong defense out there. Um, I think it makes the team kind of mediocre, less less range of outcomes, uh, you know, a tighter range of outcomes than having Drew Locke playing. Interesting thing, or if you look at some of the sports betting odds around there, Bridgewater was plus 400 to win this job uh, a few days ago. So it was a pretty massive up in terms of the betting market and Teddy Bridgewater getting awarded this starting job. As Chief is, I haven't seen Chief for five days for full transparency. <laughs> Anybody watching on this? I was traveling. It was the first time he had really gone away, away like that. So he's very happy to have me back in the home today. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's... Uh, it's probably good news in week one for Jerry Judy. Probably good news early in the season for those guys. Uh, can't say that I think it's great news overall for the entire outlook of the Broncos season, however. Yeah, I mean, Cortland Sutton, we haven't seen play in the preseason yet. He's coming back off of a torn ACL. Jerry Judy has played in the preseason. So he's been gaining some chemistry here with uh, with Teddy Bridgewater. And yeah, Chief is getting pretty close to those AirPods, man. I, I, have you ever had any scares with <laughs> Chief snagging an airpod right out of your ear because it's pretty close we haven't had the airpod in the ear snag we've seen the uh the lights and the camera go down once before but uh this is new he uh he's been pretty calm for the last three or four months but like i said apparently he missed me this past weekend and i do appreciate that you know one of your first statements there was that you, you got this wrong right and i do just want to kind of Throw that out there. Yes, I pumped up Sia. He got his call correct with Sony Michelle going to the Los Angeles Rams. There's going to be a lot of accountability on this podcast. I do it on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, and this isn't going to be some kind of show where we come on and just kind of pump up every single thing that we get right. We are going to 
make fun of each other for getting things wrong. We are going to talk about what we got wrong and hopefully try and learn from those things. So I just wanted to get that out first and foremost, uh, because it's just something that irks me in the fantasy industry where there are just people, and I get it, you have things that you need to sell, so on and so forth. You have to sell your brand. But there are just some people out there that will only tell you the things that they get right and never tell you the things that they get wrong. And it's just, man, it's really just one of my pet peeves in this industry. Uh, The biggest news of August, perhaps, Trevor Lawrence has been named the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Apparently that was a uh, competition, but yeah, that's, that's Urban Meyer for you. Hopefully, please, no Carlos Hyde 15 touches in week one. Let's talk about the Millie Maker, some strategy and some trends. And I used a bunch of different resources for this. Some things dating back to 2019, 2018. I read an awesome article that Adam Levitan of Established to Run wrote last year. Uh, 2020. Obviously, it was back in October of 2020. So I've basically taken a bunch of different resources, and, and these were the things that I was able to find. First and foremost, the Millie Maker for week one, there's two different kinds. There's a $5 entry on DraftKings. There is a $100 entry. The $5 entry, uh, you can enter up to 150 lineups. You, you probably can enter 150 lineups for both of them, if we're being honest. But for the $5 one, we're expecting over 1 million total entries paying out over $5 million and min cash earns 1.6 times their entry, AKA $8. If you min cash in the $5 entry. Um, and then you first place obviously gets a million dollars and a tournament of champions entry. There's also the $100 entry, uh, 28,000 entries overall in that contest. And I know the first few weeks are kind of weird where there's two different entry points, $5, $100. But usually Mike, the Millie Maker is a $20, $20 entry once we get past the first couple of weeks. Yeah, it's $20 is going to be a pretty much the standard there. I think that we could see it change a little bit at times this season. They've done a $25, but historically speaking, it has been that $20 price point uh, where you're looking at someone enters five teams, they're going to be maxing out at a $100 price point. I think that's something that they've landed on that they've wanted to do, but uh, it's not going to shock me at all if we see more $10 ones this year and just unfortunately a higher percentage of the total purse going to the first place. Yeah. And there's also a Sunday million on FanDuel. So we don't want to forget about them. $3 entry for week one with nearly uh, 1,400,000 entries. So let's get weird. I mean, you got to get contrarian a little bit there. Stacking is key. We've talked about stacking a lot here on this podcast already, specifically in GPP and why you need to correlate things. But using trends, stacking is paramount in the Millie Maker. Over 90% of top 10 lineups use stacks with the most popular combination being four-man game stacks followed by three-man game stacks. So what that means is usually three players from one side, you bring it back, or two players from one side of a, of a game, and then you bring it back on the other side of the game. But the three-by-one game stack was most commonly used in 2020, which is quarterback, two pass catchers, and obviously one bring back, which I just mentioned. And you basically have to find the highest scoring game on a given week, which, look, it's not the easiest thing to pre- uh, predict because, again, we'd all be millionaires if that was the case. But see ya. The most common one, Three by one, three on one side and one bring back uh, based on last year's results. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, that's that's you're going to have to do that you, you, because what you're trying to do is maximize, obviously, the points in a particular game. If you think it's going to be a shootout and you grab all the guys that are really at the top of that shootout from a fantasy standpoint, you're way ahead of the game. And so you you can do that in in one of the games, let's say Tennessee and Arizona, which which has a 51 and a half point total. And then you can go over to another game, uh, let's say Philly and Atlanta. And, and just grab a couple shares there if you think that's also going to be a shootout. So, you know, you can sort of like stack down the line a little bit and 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 go that route. But yeah, absolutely. You're not going to win a Millie Maker. I mean, I, I suppose it's possible and it's been done, but you're not going to win a Millie Maker by not connecting your quarterback with one or two pass catchers and, and bringing it back. It's just not going to happen. The most common secondary stack, which is, again, you're stacking another game within that same lineup, is... You take a running back, presumably a workhorse running back, on a favored team, and you bring that back with an opposing pass catcher. So, assuming that team is playing from behind, obviously. So, something like Derrick Henry, if he goes off in Week One, and then DeAndre Hopkins on the other side. That would something. That's something that could be correlated uh, based on the lines that we have, and obviously, there's a huge total in that game. Mike, is this something that you like to use? Is that running back on a team that's favored and bring it back with a pass catcher on the other side? Yes, very frequently. Uh, really, both of the stack situations that we've been talking about are ones that I tend to use, even in cash games. But definitely the secondary stack here with the favored running back, someone on the other side. The only thing I will mention there is when you're doing it on the other side, you're generally going to think about two things. Number one, you're going to look at how concentrated are the targets on the other side, uh, especially in situations where they're trailing. So in the example of Henry and Hopkins, while Hopkins is probably not the best example because he's somewhat matchup proof in terms of where the targets are going to be headed his way, you're generally going to, in my opinion, going to be want to, want to target wide receiver number two or three and not wide receiver one. General thought process there, if wide receiver one gets the volume needed there, unless it's just an ultra competitive shootout, they're probably not trailing. The, the other team's probably not winning enough to keep pounding the ball to that running back. So the thought process there is wide receiver one is having a tougher time, which means they might be looking more to wide receiver two, wide receiver three. So that's something that I like to consider when I'm looking for a running back that is favored and kind of playing that game script out. Yeah, that's definitely some interesting game theory. So maybe something like Derrick Henry with Rondell Moore would make more sense because he's you know the Correct. third or even fourth wide receiver in the uh, pecking order for targets there with the Cardinals. And I also noticed looking at a few of the winning lineups from last year, there you can stack an entire game three on three on one side and one bring back, but you could also you know obviously you can't use two quarterbacks. You can stack wide receivers on opposing sides without the quarterback in that game. So. Uh, you know, for example, if you wanted to go DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Brown, but not use either Kyler Murray or Ryan Tannehill, it's possible, but that's a way to give yourself even more exposure if that game goes off. If you want to get, you know, two games that you think are going to have massive uh, point totals in a given week. For the flex, what I gathered was that over 50% use 50% of winning lineups, top 10 lineups using RB in their flex, a running back, and over 40% use a wide receiver. And obviously it's slate dependent, but double tight end has not been very profitable in the Millie Maker. And, and the reason why I preface it with slate dependent, because Mike, I know that you've already mentioned that something you might try in week one. I, I don't know if you want to do it in the Millie Maker because Kyle Pitts is probably going to be very expensive, uh, uh, very rostered, but Kyle Pitts and Travis Kelsey is something that you could do in week one. 
yeah, no, it's definitely something you can do. It's important to note there that just the the range of outcomes for the tight ends is not really going to equal a star running back or a star wide receiver in most cases. Uh, so that's why you see it. It's going to probably in a lot of spots have a higher floor in terms of like points per dollar on the floor because you're getting a big discount typically by taking that second tight end versus what a running back or a star wide receiver salary might be. Uh, but you're certainly going to be lacking upside in terms of millionaire maker winning upside when you do that. So it really is important when you're doing something like that to understand what kind of contest you're playing. Uh, that's going to be better suited for a single entry or a lower entry or a flatter payout structure, not one that's going to be so top heavy like the millionaire maker. When we spoke about showdown slates, we mentioned the possibility of leaving money on the table in order to create different lineups, weird lineups potentially, but I'm not sure it's something you want to do in the Millie Maker. According to that art article that Adam Levitan of ETR wrote last year, 84% of top 10 lineups used between $49,800 and $50,000 of their salary, which is the max salary, $50,000. So 84% of top 10 lineups from basically 2017 to 2019 used nearly all of their salary. So I found that interesting, Sia, because I've, I've heard people kind of bring up that possibility of leaving money on the table in, in order to be different. Yeah, and in other sports, it makes sense. Like for the PGA, for example, it makes sense to maybe leave a few hundred, maybe 500 on the table. But you, you got to understand in the NFL, there's built-in variance because there's so many players and games to choose from. Yep. So you, you are probably going to be different uh, than most people. I mean, you, you want to be in a GPP, especially the Millie Maker. You, you want to definitely kind of zig when, when other people are zagging and, and be different. But regardless, you know, there's there's a lot of players to roster. So you are probably going to be different if you have a $49,800 lineup or a $50,000 lineup. So um, you don't need to worry about leaving money on the table. What you need to worry about if you're in the Millie Maker is making sure you're not taking all the chalk because you, you mentioned yourself how many entries are going to be in those week one tournaments. I mean, it's a lot. So you have to you have to make a really hard and fast decision. Which which game do I want to play? And, and if it's the popular game, do I want to play all the chalky guys in that game? Because if I do, man, I'm going to have to get really dif different elsewhere. And speaking of chalk, you really cannot have more than one player on your roster over 20 percent ownership. You can choose your chalk play wisely. And I think based on what I've read, it should be a workhorse running back because obviously more touches, the possibility of getting five, six, seven targets if you're a Christian McCaffrey or maybe even a Dalvin Cook, someone like that. That upside is just massive. So, Mike, does that sound about right? If you're trying to take down one of these bigger GPP tournaments, you really can't have more than one player who's over 20% rostered. Yeah, I would say you could extend that to two potentially, but yeah, you're not going to want to have four players with that ownership level. Um, I think that the only other thing I would mention there is if you do want to play more chalk like that, that's going to be a situation where you're going to want to guarantee that you're leaving at least two to $300 on the table because you can kind of capture the same effect by by reducing the number of duplicated lineups. So it is fascinating to hear that data. Uh, I still personally believe that if you can spend 49.9 instead of 50 exactly, you definitely should try to do that. Um, when doing that extra $100 there, that accounts for about 45% of the lineups that are even entered into the contest. Uh, so it just significantly reduces the probability of you having a duplicated lineup, uh, which is, again, going to be better for you in the long run in that. So 
but as far as the number of chalk players, I think it's personally closer to two that you can have. Uh, but again, you need to be more concerned with the building of the unique lineup and the overall ownership of the of the team. So, because I think that to just to, in my opinion, just to say that one twenty percent lineup or one twenty percent player, I think that you know I could still put in theory, three 25% owned players in my lineup and have a lower combined ownership than a lineup that only has one, right? So yeah, that's just my my personal take on it. So Yeah, totally and, and that just means you need to take a few dart throws at other spots, right? You need to find those those diamonds. And again, what, what Sia mentioned, there's so many players on a given week. So you can you know, potentially find some some players that are sub 5% roster. We'll talk about those in just a little bit. But cumulative ownership is something that we've already talked about a little bit here today, and we've mentioned it in the past. But in that same article from Adam Levitan, he said he wrote 58% of top 10 lineups were between 100 and 150% cumulative ownership for your lineup. So what that means is after the slate starts, or I guess once it's completed, right? Because we're waiting for the 4 p.m. games as well. Once the all the games have started, you can see ownership percentage for all of your players. You want, if you add that up for your entire lineup, say whatever, Kyler Murray's 15%, you have a Derrick Henry who's 22%, blah, blah, blah. You want to add up all that ownership and it should fall somewhere between 100 and 150. It can be less. That, that means you're going to have a contrarian lineup. It could be more than 150, but obviously the possibility of you differentiating yourself from someone becomes harder if that's the case. So between 100 and 150, does that make sense to you? Oh, I totally agree. I think that's definitely the sweet spot. And thanks to projections, which for the record aren't always extremely accurate, but thanks to projections, you can have a pretty good idea of, of how you're going to fall within that range because it, it, you know it's not like that's a small range. You know, I know, I know, I think... Adam probably broke it down 100 to 125, 125 to 150, but you yep. put the numbers together, which is the better thing to do because the idea is if you're in that kind of big sweet spot, you're probably, you know, in good shape to, to be, you know, relatively different. So when it comes to projected ownership, that, that's something you want to look at and you want to fall within that sweet spot. Yeah, you really, again, we have to hammer down this point is that when you're playing in one of these big field contests, you need to be paying attention to projected ownership. And it's something that, Mike, you mentioned we are going to have on Sportsline this upcoming season, correct? Yes, we will definitely have some form of projected ownership there. And then we will obviously be mentioning it heavily here on this show. All right, so we already covered chalk. Now let's talk about a few of those dart throws. And again, apparently you need between one and three players on your roster that are at sub 5% ownership. So we're talking about, I brought up a name, Rondell Moore. I, I don't know how many people are going to play Rondell Moore in week one, but he sounds like someone to me who might be rostered less than 5%. So Mike, you kind of mentioned this where you can have two or maybe even three over 20%, but then you're going to need more of these dart throws that are under 5% ownership. Yeah, you're going to need more of them there. And where they're typically going to come from is really high scoring game environments. Overall, you're going to be looking at wide receiver three, wide receiver four, a backup tight end in some of those situations. Um, so in situations like that, what's going to happen is you're basically going to punt the tight end position uh, in favor of being able to load up on some of the higher price running backs, wide receivers. Uh, that's tip. Oh, Mike, we're losing you're you a little bit a here. shot on a a backfield situation. You still, you got me still? Yep, yep, yep. yep. We got you back now. You were, uh, you were lagging there for a second. You were actually, your face was frozen on a pretty funny pose, but 
I appreciate it. <laughs> if you if you want to wrap up your thought now that you're back. Right. Yeah. So the, those are basically going to come from situations where you're reading, uh, you know, we have a timeshare on a running back on a backfield situation. You're essentially know everyone's going to play one guy. You just simply play the other guy knowing they're both going to get touches, things like that. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we are going to mock what game stacks might actually look like. And we'll use week one and, and look at the games with the highest point totals and what those three by one stacks might look like and what those secondary stacks might look like. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Football Today DFS. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so admittedly, we were originally going to make a Millie Maker lineup on today's pod, but Mike is a lot smarter than me. I, I, I'm man enough to admit that. That's perfectly fine. He gave a sound reasoning for why we shouldn't make a Millie Maker lineup this early. I mean, we're still, what, two and a half weeks away at least. Feel free to explain, Mike. What is, uh, why shouldn't we make a lineup, and what is this term anchoring that you mentioned to us? Yeah, so anchoring is a bias that humans suffer from in general. It's basically going to be the propensity to lie or to rely on the first piece of information that you received and really weight that inappropriately when you're making future decisions. And that's really what I find happens when you start building lineups early in the season, early, you know, early in the week or weeks before week one. We start to think and make opinions about certain players, certain teams, uh, and it just leads to certain biases that I think that are completely unnecessary to fall victim to in daily fantasy. You know, in season-long fantasy, it's great to make an early opinion on a player and then go out there and get them in the draft. You're actually incentivized to do that, right? In sports betting, similar idea. You are incentivized to go beat the market on price. So if you are on a particular side, you can forecast which way it's going to go. It's in your best interest to go lock that in or potentially wait in some rare cases, but typically you're locking things in. When you're playing DFS, we want to have as much information as we possibly can and not start to believe things that we think we have seen now because we have new information coming in all the time and we're at no disadvantage to make these decisions as late as possible because the pricing simply doesn't change from day to day, right? It's every week there's a new price, but once our information is released, it cannot change. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a really good point, and it's not really something that I've thought about, but I have definitely fallen victim to that in the past, right? And I think the only the only reason you might want to be early on something, and I guess this DFS industry, is that oh, I, I was the first person to bring up play this player this week, and then you know people do their victory laps the next week, so on and so forth. And again, I, I don't really care about stuff like that. So if you want to be that person, feel free, but us 
I, I don't think it's really going to matter here on this podcast. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to pull up once again, DraftKings here. So if you're watching on our YouTube channel, that's youtube.com slash fantasy football today, you'll be able to watch along here. And this is something we hope to do all season long where we're kind of shuffling players in and out and we're bringing up different players and, and looking at their salaries. And again, we'll just run through a few different games. This doesn't mean that we're going to use these stacks, but kind of give you an example of what this stack would look like. So let's start with the top game, right? The Browns at the Chiefs. Chiefs are favored by six, and that has a point total of 53, which as of now is the highest point total on the week one main slate. So see, you kind of walk me through here. What would you want to do if you were kind of creating a stack here? Let's go with a three by one. It could be three players on the Brown side. It could be three on the Chiefs, whatever you want to do. So this one is interesting because it's probably going to be a game I'm personally going to avoid. Uh, and, and I'll probably be betting the under as well. Not because I think it's going to be like a 40 point total, but because I think the Browns are going to play a lot of ball control. So with that said, it's not really the best game for me to to project a stack. But if I were, and if, and if I thought, go ahead. Actually, go 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 with whatever game, whichever okay. game is easiest for you to mock this three by one stack. If we were going to do a three by one stack, I think I'd probably go to Arizona and Tennessee. Yep. Now we've talked we've talked about this game before. I think you can definitely take the discount on Ryan Tannehill if you want. I personally like Kyle, Kyler Murray here, so. I might actually stack Kyler Murray with obviously DeAndre Hopkins. And you brought up Rondale Moore, who's going to give us like major salary relief. Now, to Mike's point, we really have to wait to see what happens one or two days before this game in terms of AJ Green's health. How much how much are they talking about Christian Kirk versus Rondale Moore? Because right now it looks like Rondale Moore is going to get quite the target share and the number of snaps uh, week one and forward. But we don't we don't know that right now. Like you said, we're two and a half weeks out. So I think Kyler with DeAndre uh, and Rondell uh, Rondell Moore, or maybe DeAndre and Chase Edmonds, uh, because you get you're getting some salary relief there, and Chase Edmonds catches plenty of passes unless Rondell takes that from him as well. And then you bring it back with probably not Derrick Henry. Uh, I think you you might want to bring it back with AJ Brown or Julio. Um, I'll take AJ Brown in this case because he's probably even though both AJ and Julio are, are both having small issues with their health. I think A.J. Brown is going to be the guy. Just a reminder here with the Tennessee Titans, because of offseason moves, there are 244 vacated targets for the Tennessee Titans. Julio comes in. He's going to suck up some of that, but this is probably going to be a pretty condensed uh, target share across the season. It's probably going to go a lot to Julio, a lot to uh, A.J. Brown, and maybe some Ferkster and some of these fringe guys. But with all those vacated targets, I, I really do like, if they're healthy, I like guys like A.J. Brown and Julio to shine. Yeah, and I, I think as long as they're healthy, both A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, they're probably going to combine for over 50% of the target share. So you're right about that being a condensed target share um, as long as they're healthy again because, you know, obviously A.J. Brown's dealing with the knee. Julio Jones is always dealing with something. Mike, for you, and again, we're not actually playing these stacks. We're just kind of using this as an example to uh, of how we would go about it. So, Mike, feel free. Choose a game. Show me a, a, a three-by-one, a two-by-one, something that you might do uh, in week one. Yeah, if we go back to the first game there, I think that I, I the one you talked about with Kansas City, I think that you probably want to play maybe a contrarian type stack there. It would be Mayfield and one of the running backs, and then on the other side, uh, going to be Travis Kelsey for sure, Tyreek Hill. Um, but looking at that other game, the one I'm most interested, we actually kind of mentioned it um, earlier in the show, 
in the Arizona Tennessee game, I really like the idea of playing Hopkins and Brown, uh, you know, star wide receiver on both sides without either of the quarterbacks. Uh, just knowing that we're going to get a lot of the targets concentrated in those directions, I think I'd rather take a chance on a cheaper quarterback that I think is going to distribute the ball all the way around and not going to be reliant there. So I think that uh, that's the way I would start. And then we can begin to look. Um, at some of the other value plays there. You can play Mayfield where the salary is a little cheaper. Then you can look at one of the running backs if you like Chubb or uh, Kareem Hunt in that spot. It's going to look weird when you put all these names in here because you see the salary remaining dropping rapidly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the issue here, though, you can, we're still going to have a lot of value in week one, right? We we just talked about it. We talked about Rondell Moore. Like Moore is someone, even though I don't have the quarterback, I would double stack him here in this sense uh, just because he's $3,000. The value is going to be too hard to ignore at that point. So if we assume that he's going to start, then we're going to be looking to a $2,500 or less defense. Mm-hmm. Um there will be one that stands out for sure at that point that is like, okay, yeah, I feel comfortable enough here. So feel literally feel free to lock in any of those defenses uh, that you would maybe feel okay with at some point. There you go. Perfect. So see, now we're back up to 4250. All of a sudden we have one more minimum price player or two players around that range. We've talked about $3,700 wide receivers quite a bit. I know Callaway was one of them there. Now we're up to 5,100 left for the last running back spot. And then obviously things are going to change throughout the, uh, you know, the, uh, the last week and a half or so, but that's kind of the way that I would go about it. Yeah. I mean, you could just like stack this whole game up, right? Arizona, Tennessee, Chase Edmonds is, is pretty cheap there. Or even if you wanted to go again, if you're trying to get contrarian, right? People are going to be on, Nick Chubb more than they are going to be on Kareem Hunt and Kareem Hunt. Yep. He has packages where he comes on the field in the red zone and, and just kind of, you know, Chubb can do everything. And then all oh, they'll just oh, out of nowhere, Kareem Hunt's on the field. And if you go with something like that, all of a sudden we have, we can go up to 6,800 for our RB two, or I guess technically that would be your RB one, whatever Aaron Jones, even though it's a tough matchup, I guess that would be a one-off kind of thing. And he might have higher ownership just because he's a bigger name running back. But uh, this is just an example right, of uh, using potential stacks to your advantage when it comes to the Millie Maker lineup. So with, with that lineup that you've got there, Frank, can yep. we uh, pull, pull Aaron Jones back out, yep. take Baker Mayfield and bring him up to Kyler Murray since we've got the double wide receiver there? And okay. then what does that leave? It leaves us with the exact same 5,100 there. So you can get away from that. And then you still have the stack of the game with Hunt and Travis Kelsey on the other side, who are actually most likely going to have a positive correlation. So we, even though we started this as a Cleveland lineup, now it looks more like an Arizona stack with the bring back of AJ Brown. And then we're still getting exposure uh, to that side. So that's just one of the things that you can do uh, when you start to build, even though you had an idea in your mind, we quickly saw that, okay, once we got more in there and we saw we were going to have that much left at the running back spot, it might be a better idea to go ahead and, and make this an Arizona stack. Now, would you be okay with the final two roster spots in a million maker lineup being uncorrelated, basically just one-offs, or should you find a way to have those, to have everything correlated, even if it's, you know, three different games, does it make sense to have those final spots correlated as well, or, or can they just be one-offs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 
obviously you always want to look for a correlation if one exists, but sometimes the best correlation is literally just the point, points per dollar projected of the individual player. Um, so it really just every week's going to change. Every slate's going to be different. But if there's not an obvious correlation, I don't think there's a massive reason to go out of your way to find one, especially if you're sacrificing what is at this point in this kind of build, probably a very strong value play. Um, you know, cause again, we're, we're talking 5,100 here or in general, you know, almost nine eighty five hundred 8,500 that we have to spend between the two spots. Um, so it's not like we're throwing in absolute minimum salary players here. I think that there, there's probably going to be very clear and distinct value plays by the time Sunday rolls around each week. There you go. Tevin Coleman, we got to get a New York Jet in our lineup, right? No, nah, we don't have to do that. All right, so <laughs> look, we covered a few different three-by-one stacks. I did just want to cover very quickly the secondary stack, which we spoke about, which would be a running back in a favored game, and then you bring him back with another player. And see, one that I thought about, and I thought of you once I thought about it, was Raheem Mostert at 5,800 as one of your running backs, and then you bring it back with TJ Hawkinson, who's only 4,900. So, I mean, I believe he's the second highest priced, no, third highest priced tight end on the slate. But, and then you could even go with the 49ers defense, although, you know, you probably want to save some money. But mm -hmm. if the 49ers are playing from ahead, Mostert has a monster game. Lions playing from behind. I don't really trust any of their wide receivers yet. TJ Hawkinson could make some sense. Yeah, and that's that's a really good one. As far as the receivers are concerned, we might have, and again, this is to the point of us being two and a half weeks out, we might have a lot of clarity with respect to the receivers. I mean, Tyrell has shaken off an injury. Quintez Cephas has shined. Like, we, we might get news that it's it's the Tyrell and Quintez show, you know, for, for week one. And they're going to be in a negative game script that entire game, in my opinion. So either of those two, I mean, maybe even a Brashad Perryman, depending on what's happening with him. Uh, all those guys are in play, so at least as of right now. So yeah, I think that's a that's a smart one. If we look at Indianapolis and Seattle, I mean, if we want to pay up a little bit, Jonathan Taylor, and then because Seattle's defense isn't really anything great, Jonathan Taylor. Now now that the Colts are getting healthy, oh by the way, I was wrong about something too. Carson Wentz, I didn't think what had a shot at playing Week One. Now I suppose I still might get right if he aggravates an injury, but I'm not rooting for that. But the point is they're getting some health back. I think Jonathan Taylor is a very viable play against Seattle. And you bring that back with, I mean, it's not much of a discount off DK Metcalf, but Tyler Lockett, you know, who's 6,700. It's it's kind of a, a big price to pay. Maybe you want to take a shot at a Gerald Everett to really save money at 3,400. I don't know. But um, I think a Jonathan Taylor as a secondary stack uh, being, you know, correlated with let's say a Tyler Lockett, if you have the money to spend, makes a lot of sense. But your stack makes a lot more sense from a, just a savings standpoint because Mostert with Hawkinson or Mostert with one of those really kind of low-end receivers from a price standpoint is really going to save you some money. Yep. All right. So there are some examples of, of stacks that we might be looking at in these larger field GPPs, specifically for this podcast, the Millie Maker in week one. Let's wrap up here with some preseason week three, some news and maybe some plays if you guys have any leans early on here. But uh, scheduling for this upcoming week in the preseason, there are four games on Friday and this slate is already open on DraftKings and FanDuel flat pricing across the board. For all players, once again, there are seven games on Saturday, including one game that is at 1 p.m. So they're probably going to have a showdown slate for that, I would imagine. It's the Packers at the Bills at 1 p.m. And then there are five games on Sunday, which includes one at 1 p.m., two at 4 p.m., one at 6, and then one at 8. So, yeah, football, NFL just wants football on at, at all times, and... I get it. Uh, news to know for Friday's slate. Najee Harris, Ben Roethlisberger, and Mason Rudolph 
will not play on Friday. Dwayne Haskins will start at quarterback, plus running back Benny Snell will make his preseason debut in that game. The Panthers starters are expected to play almost an entire half on Friday, with the exception of Christian McCaffrey. This is precautionary. I mean, they know how good he is. They don't really need to see him in the preseason. Jeff McClain, who covers the Philadelphia Eagles, tweeted this on Wednesday. Judging by the intensity of today's joint practice, I can't see the Eagles playing Jalen Hurts and many of their starters in Friday's preseason finale. Maybe a few get reps. If so, Hurts will have only played two series in the preseason. On the other side, Jets coach Robert Sala said he would like to play the starters on Friday, but it wouldn't be more than one half. It's also likely, they're also likely to be without rookies Elijah Moore, which he walked back Moore's comments and he's like, nah, he's probably not going to play. And their uh, rookie offensive guard, Elijah Vera Tucker. Lions will not play any starters on Friday. On the other side, Frank Wright confirmed that Jacob Eason will start. Most of the other Colts starters will not play in this game. Vikings coach Mike Zimmer said some starters will play on Friday, similar to week two. And if you're if you're just looking back at what they did in week two, Kirk Cousins played 15 of 54 total snaps in that game. Adam Thielen, it's also been announced he will not play on Friday. And the Chiefs starters, last but not least, they will play the entire first half. So could have some fun fireworks there from Mahomes and of course his pass catchers. See, I don't know if you plan on playing this slate or if you've looked into anything. Do you have any plays based on the news that I just gave you? Anyone that you're leaning towards that you like in these games? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think playing some Chiefs and some Panthers makes sense, especially if, correct me if I'm wrong, but those teams are going to, for the most part, are going to play their starters for an entire first half. So yep. uh, I, I like I like those games quite a bit. I mean, if the Chiefs are rolling out their guys for a half, I, I think there's definitely some value there, whether it's Mahomes or Tyreek, Kelsey, uh, some of those receivers like McColl, uh, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson. I think they're all in play, and the Panthers – I mean, Darnold, Robbie Anderson coming off his fresh, um, freshly minted contract, DJ Moore, Terrace Marshall. I, I feel like there's some upside there to play. Yeah, and if McCaffrey is not playing, which they're not expecting right now, Chuba Hubbard, not that he's he hasn't been great in the preseason, but if they give him McCaffrey's uh, role in this game on Friday, then obviously he could see some targets and, and obviously a good amount of work on early downs as well. Uh, Mike, anything for you? Week three preseason? No, the real thoughts. I mean, obviously, fire away with anyone that you think is going to play, you know, more than a full quarter. I think that that's obviously a great situation there. Um, I think the only one, I don't even know what day the game is. The Bears game, which uh, which day is that? That's on Saturday at 7 p.m. On Saturday. So, Fields, I think he's playing the first half. Um, potentially, you know, I think that that's a great spot for him to go out and try and make one last case. But uh, that, that's just my opinion there. I think that if I was playing Saturday, I'd be using him for sure, especially if you get it in any sort of a showdown slate. Um, sometimes they're offering showdown slates for these games. Uh, I would definitely be throwing him in there with probably any of the other quarterbacks playing him on the other side. Yeah, I, I assume he'll be pretty popular. But again, you can you can yeah. roster anyone in these uh, preseason slates because, again, it is flat pricing. Justin Fields has been running a ton in the preseason as well, so definitely helps out with his fantasy output. For me, on Friday, a few names I just wanted to bring up. Anthony McFarlane has gotten some run with the Steelers. They already announced Najee Harris will not play. Jarek McKinnon has caught quite a few passes here, and I assume he might not play that much in the first half, but in the second half against some backups, I think he could be sneaky. Corey Davis... we talked about his target share in the preseason. Mecole Hardman, uh, I think that they want to get him involved with the ones again. And then 
just names I wanted to mention. Two random wide receivers. I really don't know much about these guys, but they each have 10 targets in the preseason. That includes the Lions' Tom Kennedy and the Colts' Desmond Patton. All right, so that'll do it. For Mike and Sia, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Football Today. DFS will be back again on Tuesday with bankroll management, tracking ROI, and week three reactions. We'll see you then.